Welcome to The Balance, a public health podcast brought to you by the BC Alliance for Healthy Living, or BCAHL. I'm Lori Dawson, Manager of Communications and Projects. So at BCAHL, we are very interested in addressing the risk factors and health inequities that contribute significantly to chronic disease. We're all about prevention and health promotion. And one issue close to our hearts and advocacy efforts is youth vaping. For this episode, I had the pleasure of talking to two people from two leading organizations working hard to understand and address youth vaping. My first interview is with Chris Lamb, the president and CEO of the BC Lung Association. Now, the tricky thing is our interview took place before the COVID-19 pandemic. So even though youth vaping is of utmost interest, as we understand more about this respiratory illness, we do not talk about it at all in the interview. However, the BC Lung Association has been on the ground working since before our province declared a state of emergency and is currently an epicenter of information on COVID-19 and lung health. You can access all that info at bc.lung.ca. And for the second interview, it was a true delight to speak to Annie Smith, Executive Director of the McCreary Centre Society and a strong advocate for youth in our province. So without further ado, here's both conversations. I am Christopher Lamb and I'm the President and CEO at the British Columbia Lung Association. So I've got about six questions today. Um, I'm just going to jump right into it. Uh, So the first question is, you have excellent resources on your website, including a vaping prevention toolkit. Now, it's my understanding that originally this was geared towards grade 10 students, Mm -hmm. but this had to be reassessed for a younger audience. Mm -hmm. Um, How did that come about and how young of an audience? That's an excellent question. So we really thought that what we were doing was targeting kids who were in senior high. Uh, So as you had mentioned, that's grades 10 uh, to grade 12. Uh, We had done an entire project around this. We piloted it at a couple schools and we realized it wasn't resonating with them. And that in fact, what was happening was the entry point, which this was who this was targeting, uh, was much younger. And that put us into grades five to grade seven. So a significant change for us. And really the first time uh, with our work with vaping where we realized the entry point was much younger than we expected and that youth were indeed being targeted uh, as to become vapors. Yeah, and just to hear grade five, like that is so young. Mm-hmm. Um, I would uh, parent myself with, the, with a child that started school this year um, who is aware as a kindergarten just what vaping is, um, which is shocking to yeah. me. So did that send shockwaves through? Like how was um, yourself working with stakeholders able to mobilize and respond to, okay, it's grade five? That's an, also an excellent question. And to be honest, I'm not sure that in our industry, in our community, that we've actually been able to fully appropriately respond to this. It definitely sent major shockwaves because uh, when you're in grade five, you're 10 years old. To me, that's just absolutely mind-boggling. You often think about smoke pits at high schools and teenagers. We're talking about a 10-year-old doing this. And that is really still quite hard for me to wrap my head around. What that really meant, though, is that we needed to retool, re-gear, reassess what we're doing. Uh, We had often made the comparison that what's happening with vaping is what happened with tobacco uh, many years ago. 
when in fact we are dealing with a completely different demographic with different tools to their disposal, with different ways of getting information. Uh, so we have to take all those things into account. So with the toolkit, it was really important for us to speak a different language, uh, find different educators and facilitators and really different stakeholders to get involved to really help us through this process. And what that ended up being is the toolkit that we now have uh, that's geared towards grade five to grade seven students. And it's, again, like I said, it's such an excellent resource. And um, in the show notes to this podcast, I'll definitely have links to, to everything that we're talking about. Um, you know, so I, in a recent uh, public health meeting that, that we were a part of, uh, we talked about communications and possible digital campaigns to help raise awareness among um, youth of the harms of vaping. There is an incredibly, I say awesome, and startling video on BC Lungs Association's mm -hmm. website right now. Flavored vapes hook kids. You have a, a 30 second PSA plus a longer video. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely, so the idea behind that is to really illustrate how flavors are masking the real danger that's in uh, vaping. And that's the content of nicotine. Nicotine being uh, this explosively addictive substance uh, and for tobacco industries, that is sort of the hook. That is what they want you to get uh, addicted to. And what they're using is flavors to attract kids. Uh, we did this survey with the McCreary Society uh, where we were able to determine that the number one reason why kids vape is they want to try the different flavors. Uh, so the video that you're referring to uh, uses the analogy of ice cream. And if you knew that nicotine was in your flavors of ice cream, would you still allow your child to have that ice cream? Uh, it's an excellent video. It's got a lot of shock value in it. Uh, but it, the, the real point is the flavors. Uh, understanding how that is the attraction and that there's a hidden danger in there. And you do such excellent work. BC Lung Association does excellent work. Uh, you've talked about collaboration is key. And that uh, video was made in collaboration with Heart and Stroke, with the Lung Association, and with Publicist Advertising Agency. So that said, just going back to the video, another thing, I loved this video. It was startling, it was on point. As a parent, I was like, yes. I just felt, um, I felt every reaction in that video. So, but what shocked me was reading through the comments. It was very clear how this was set up. There was very clear caveats. It was very clearly written, any gaps within and why it's used to demonstrate mm -hmm. the harms of flavor. It was very, very clear. And yet it felt like every second comment, every third comment, just absolutely bashing, you know, science or, or histrionic uh, uh, comments like "you're taking our freedom away" or "this isn't" mm -hmm. or "who would ever, you know, blah." That's it, and just getting right off the topic. Yeah. So I just wonder how to handle that. Like they have resources. <laughs> yes, they like do. This is not necessarily a video. It's not that, that's been on the national or mm -hmm. that's been like nationally, but it feels like they have the resources to attack it as though it went through national media. Like it's. Absolutely. I mean, proponents of the vaping community are strong and they're loud uh, and they, they believe in the product. And I'm, I'm not going to be one to say that you should or should not. What we'd like to say is let's look at the facts. Uh, and even that is something that the vape industry has come after us about or what are the facts because we have a different set of facts. Uh, so we will pride ourselves to be grounded in evidence, uh, grounded in science, uh, and it's pretty unequivocal. 
And uh, how do we handle with the zealots? I mean, they, they, they have their opinion, and I would never say that they should be muzzled for that. Uh, but what we do want to be aware of is how their message is being perceived by the youth. That is clearly the demographic that's being targeted, and that's a group that all of us in the lung health community are trying to protect. Uh, there is absolutely no doubt that nicotine is harmful to them, both on a cognitive level in developing brains, uh, as well as uh, the addiction level. And that creates lifelong addictions to nicotine uh, that can have long-term effects, lifelong effects, up to and including death. So we want to make sure that they're being protected from that exact danger. Uh, there's no doubt that we will never back down from that. Uh, there's probably no doubt that they'll never back down from their claims as well. Uh, but I'd say let's let the science play itself out. Uh, I feel pretty strongly about where we're at with that. And um, it's going to be difficult to handle uh, the commentary and, and dealing with those on a day-to-day -day basis. But they're entitled to their opinions just as much as we are. Uh, and we're backed by science. Yeah, and I loved, I loved how um, uh, BC Lung, but also other organizations and other people interested in raising awareness about uh, vaping among youth all kept a pretty level head in response mm -hmm. and, and as well just evidence back. So, so didn't get baited into some of the yeah. more uh, personal attacks and just kept it right with the science. Mm -hmm. and, and uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's the way. Um, Absolutely. That's the way to keep, and, and just to figure out a way to have the resources to keep on responding with science for yeah. it. It's difficult because their, their reach is large. Yes. Uh, the platforms they use are quite far-reaching. Uh, so it's, it's difficult to combat that. And maybe it's our idea isn't that we're trying to combat that. It's, it's more that we want to provide the right information and allow people to make their own choices. We just need to have more people understand uh, what those options are that are available to them. I mean, one of the things that we really want to be mindful of is that perhaps, perhaps there is a realm in which cessation tools like vaping uh, could be used to help people stop smoking. Uh, I personally believe it requires a heavy level of regulation. It would require uh, quite a bit of uh, concentrated science behind it to ensure that those levels were right. Uh, for example, one of the things is the reduction of nicotine that's allowed to be down to 20 milligrams per milliliter. Uh, could that be used as a cessation tool? I think the science could support that if we get to that stage. Uh, it's the same with the flavors. We talked earlier about flavors. The only flavors that are going to be allowed in British Columbia are going to be tobacco or plain. Uh, and that is with an, a nod towards whether or not it could or could not be used as an effective cessation tool. So we do want people to get off the of tobacco. That's the number one focus. Uh, we want to have effective ways to do that. What we don't want to have are things like unicorn's breath or cotton candy or birthday cake available because that's not targeting someone who's trying to quit smoking. That's clearly targeting a 10, a 12, a 14-year-old child, and that is not okay. Speaking of that, can you talk a little bit about the Evolving Quit Now program and how it's including youth, uh, youth vaping services? Absolutely. So uh, for those of you who are unaware, our Quit Now services are the Provincial Smoking Cessation Program. And it's got a variety of different uh, streams, we call them, uh, to which people can use it to quit. There's an online module, there's a text to quit program. We even have live quit coaches uh, who will walk you through a process if you're looking to quit tobacco specifically. So with vaping becoming a larger thing, 
we really wanted to offer the similar services to people who are trying to quit vaping, fully understanding that tobacco and vaping would probably require uh, a, a different psychology behind it uh, and a different stream for those people who are trying to quit. Uh, so what we wanted to do is integrate those same services into the program. Uh, also with the nod that there are several youth out there who are looking to quit. So uh, effective immediately, uh, the Quit Now program is available for youth who are trying to quit vaping uh, as young as 12 years old. Uh, so we're trying to make sure that we have enough tools out there in the community to help people. Oh, that's excellent. Oh, that's excellent. And I know that you're also, um, you're not busy enough, so you're also working <laughs> on a pilot vaping prevention toolkit for secondary students. Yes. So actually um, aging it up to the grade 10, yes. 11, and 12. Um, and potentially there might be a pilot program about to be tested. I'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, you just mentioned that we are creating a new toolkit aimed at secondary school students after the initial uh, turned out it was going to be geared towards elementary school students. Uh, this version is intended to be spread to every high school across the province. Uh, and the, the nod to that is that it needs to speak a different language. Uh, fully understanding that the entry point was the, the rationale behind the initial toolkit. This is more around, these are the dangers, here's how we're informing you, please make an informed decision around whether or not you should continue to vape. And then following that up with the tools to help them quit if they want to quit or resources to share with their friends uh, in order to quit. So that relates back to our Quit Now program. So that's the plan there. Like I mentioned earlier as well, it needs to speak an entirely different language. Uh, we're not dealing with elementary school students now, it's high school students. It requires different verbiage, different mentality. So it's been a bit of a process even getting to a point to how do we communicate information effectively to a 16-year-old so that they can make an informed decision on their own. And we're hoping to have that pilot done sometime in the late spring uh, with a, a rollout to all schools uh, for the new school year. Yeah, it's excellent. And it's no easy task because just just the just the medium just just having to communicate a message to a 16 year old feels like a 16 year old say oh i'm not listening you know yes. like it's, it's just it's such a monumental task but i love that you're that you're flexible enough mobilizing enough that you're not backing down that yes we're going to get the information they need so they can make the decision absolutely we're not telling them what to do mm -hmm. we just want them to have the facts mm -hmm. so hats off um to to bc log and the ministry of education and all other partners whoever's working mm -hmm. on this project it's going to be very exciting so that would be september 2020 potentially that's the hope and and just to follow up on what you're saying there uh, the provincial government has been instrumental in uh, enforcing this concept that it's going to be youth driven and that's something that uh, we really believe in and uh, to their end uh, in their 10-point provincial plan one of their points was to create a youth advisory panel which they've done and uh, we've helped do that with the McCreary Society and uh, that has really helped shape uh, future direction here and we are still probably at on, on in the learning phases of all of that and uh, the Ministry of Health has been incredibly supportive of this youth dri uh, driven initiative and it's made a big difference in terms of what we're doing and hopefully we're going to reach the right people because of this. I, I was wondering too uh, and this might be a little bit too specific it's more communication side but what messaging, like what is the messaging public health promotion, uh, organizations, NGOs, government, 
is coming up against with vaping. So what are the vaping companies throwing at us? I think the big thing is they, they have this uh, campaign out right now that uh, they're spreading this idea that we, as NGOs and other like-minded organizations, uh, are spreading misinformation. Uh, so we had talked earlier about us being grounded in fact and being grounded in science. Uh, there's all sorts of science and things that you could look up in Google that will give you an opinion about one way or another. Um, and it, it all comes down to semantics, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I had mentioned earlier that we do want to have a nod towards cessation. And that can be twisted in several different ways, that we are accepting of, of vaping. Therefore, XYZ must there, therefore follow. Um, when that's not the case, I, I think we will always stand by the fact that it needs to be regulated. Uh, if regulated, it could be an effective cessation tool. Uh, so there's a lot of misinformation being spread. Um, the difficult thing that we're up against is this concept that there are influencers that are reaching youth in ways that perhaps we don't even know exist right now. Uh, and that's not a matter of us maybe just being too old or being out of the loop. It's just it, it's an effective way to communicate that is maybe not traditional. And so for us to find non-traditional ways to communicate an effective message has easily been the biggest struggle. Oh, that's such a good point, and it's interesting because this might be a little bit different with um, uh, tobacco uh, control uh, traditionally, but it really feels like vaping is a friend of a friend, an older brother, older sister, mm -hmm. older friend, really out of the purview of adults yes. and school administrators, and like that there is a, a <laughs> like a network of activity happening exactly that we don't we're yes. not tapped into. Yeah. Um, so that's that's fascinating to try to figure out how to tap in and, 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 of course, working on the regulation side of things so that it becomes less and less available. Um, okay, so I, I was also wondering, just a few last questions, like we've got two minutes left. Um, this is... This is maybe more for the McCurry Center Society, but it is, a, it is a question what we're looking at is why do you think youth vape? It feels like it's a different beast than smoking. Yes. A little bit, and I guess that's at the crux of trying to reach the population we're trying to reach. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had the magic answer to that. I mean, that's if we knew why they did it, we could probably solve better how do we stop it from happening or how do we make it safe. And th th those are the, the issues that we're up against. I think this notion of stigma is, is an interesting one to deal with when we're talking about uh, why do they do it. Um, there's this notion right now that, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, the cool kids, the cool kids are doing it. Uh, so that often drew the parallel to smoking and tobacco. Uh, there was a time and place where it was cool to smoke. Uh, but what we've done here and across Canada really is there's a stigmatization around tobacco use and smoking. Uh, we, we often look at people who are standing out in the rain because we are in Vancouver uh, having their cigarette and there's a little bit of the finger pointing and you kind of chuckle and, you know, too bad for them. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that stigma has evolved a little bit and we almost don't want to be stigmatizing people because we they, they may be ashamed to try to come out and, and look for help. Uh, so that messaging also needs to change. As it relates to vaping, the stigma really is, it's the cool kids are still doing it, and you can't tell us what to do. And we're gonna make our own decisions, as we had talked about earlier as well, but we are having a tough time breaking that down, uh, really understanding, really, why are you doing it? Is it just an accessibility thing? Uh, is it you tried it once and now you're, you're addicted? 
we, we did a dialogue once with uh, a student uh, who ver spoke very clearly around the addiction. She didn't understand that she was addicted to it, but she could not stop because of it. Uh, it was making her physically sick, it was making her mentally sick, and uh, there, there's probably a strong correlation between that and their uh, desire to continue to vape, uh, as well as, of course, as we talked about earlier as well, the flavors. Uh, we, we heard a lot of people say to us, I just want to try all the different flavors. Well, right now, we can't even count how many there are because they're all named different things. There's something like 7,000 flavors that you can get when you walk into a store. Um, whether it's peach, it's peach martini, it's peach bellini. They're all flavors that people want to try. And uh, that has been the struggle as well. Thank you so much. And uh, just kind of a, a last question of, um, so what's next? Like, uh, what, or even to frame it, how would you like to see uh, stakeholders and public health partners and others across se sectors come together to address this and, and what do we do next? I think there's a couple things. I mean, the two major breakdowns that we can have with the vaping uh, is a programming element and there's a policy element. Uh, both of those, I think, require uh, an eye on quite extensively. Uh, so on the policy side, our provincial government has released a 10-point plan, which is quite aggressive. Uh, it's something that at the Lung Association we do support. Uh, we definitely want to make sure that, uh, that more is still going to happen as it changes. And we know this is going to change. Uh, we know that technology is going to catch up to the devices themselves. Uh, the methodology in which youth in particular are vaping is going to change. So we want to ensure that the policies that are in place are going to reflect that. Uh, so that's one thing that we really need. Uh, that's going to require a consultation and a collaboration of all stakeholders in our community uh, to really address. Uh, there's so many moving parts that it's going to require an entire village to make that happen. On the programming side, it's going to be the same as well. Uh, everybody has to come together. It's moving so quickly that we can't afford to have a duplication of effort. Uh, we need to ensure that we're all speaking the same language, uh, that we're rolling out the same material at the same time, because uh, that's really where we're going to have impact. If we can be united and we can share that right across the province, uh, even it, it's an issue that doesn't really know borders. It can really be anywhere. Uh, it's going to require collaboration of the community to make that all happen and go uh, and to be uh, adaptive to what's going on. Uh, often we, we aren't able to be as aggressively adaptive and uh, reactive to the issues because we're sort of working in silos. So we want to break that all down. We want to come together. Uh, continue to share information and make sure that uh, we're all on the same page as a community to fight this. Oh, Chris, thank you so much. I feel like I'm I'm ready. I'm like, let's okay, let's all link arms. We've got this. <laughs> it's such a joy to talk to you, and I just really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So I am so excited today. We have Annie Smith, the Executive Director from the McCreary Centre Society, um, to talk to us about youth vaping. Um, and we're just so, so pleased. There's two times Annie has made incredible time for us in her busy schedule during a pandemic, no less. And it was to do a webinar for us recently and now to do this podcast interview. Uh, so you have excellent resources on your website, um, including the 2018 BC Adolescent Health Survey. And the one that I'm, uh, which is a wealth of information, it's so important. But the one we're gonna talk a little bit more about today and the most interested in today is called Clearing the Air, a youth-led research project about 
vaping. And I was wondering if you could talk a bit about some of the findings around vaping in these projects. Absolutely. Yeah. So we worked with a group of young people who had an interest in vaping. So they kind of came to us over a weekend and developed some research questions and really kind of they drove what what we looked at um, based on their own experiences and what they were seeing around them in school. Um, so we looked at kind of protective factors and risk factors and a sort of a general kind of profile um, of young people. So they what they found was things like um, we saw younger youth were more likely to be vaping without nicotine, whereas older youth were more likely to be vaping with nicotine. But also in conversation with them, young people were saying, you know, it's much more likely from their experience that younger youth don't realize that they are vaping with nicotine. So they're attracted by a flavor or something and, and then kind of they move on to nicotine or they were always vaping with nicotine, but didn't really realize. Um, so definitely that's kind of what the what the data looked like. Um, we saw young people who aren't accessing services, so are missing out on things like mental health services, are more likely to be vaping than other young people. And we took this data back out to young people as well, and we heard from young people across the province that very much they're vaping uh, to try and manage kind of stress and, and mental health uh, and things like that. We saw young people who'd used other substances, so who'd smoked cigarettes, uh, are more likely to be vaping. Uh, we also saw one of the kind of most surprising things uh, potentially was that while uh, we definitely know that um, young people who uh, smoke cigarettes are not involved in, in sports, it tends to be, whereas we saw that youth who were vaping were more likely to be involved in sports. And this was kind of surprising uh, to, the, to, to sort of some of the adult researchers in the room. But young people were very much clear that this is what they see around them and uh, vaping is very much seen as a healthier alternative to cigarettes by a lot of young people. Also you can maybe get away with vaping when you're sort of sat on the bench uh, in the way that you can't with uh, cigarette smoking and things. So we definitely saw that um, and actually we just kind of did a bit more additional analysis looking at that and young people are invo heavily involved in sports so uh, playing sports kind of four times a week are also vaping which i think is one of the the things that kind of gives us an opportunity to talk to young people uh, about vaping we might not necessarily think of the sports coach as the person we should be educating about vaping but definitely young people said they would listen uh, to their sports coach if, if they were talking about vaping and the, and the possible kind of implications for health and we definitely saw as well in the data the roles that friends play so if young people have friends who would be upset with them if they use uh, alcohol marijuana kind of any of the substances they're less likely to vape than young people who have kind of uh, different attitudes towards substances as well and then in terms of protective factors because when the young people worked on that report they really wanted to focus on how do we support young people to, to kind of make healthy decisions? Uh, and we saw that young people who had adults in their life who listened to them and who they felt cared about them, if they had a teacher that they, they were able to approach for help and found helpful, all those young people were less likely to vape uh, than those who maybe approached adults for help and didn't find those experiences helpful. And finally, kind of young people who felt connected to community were less likely to vape than those who didn't feel connected. There's so many things in there, and I know we have a short amount of time, but it is 
it is amazing to me that um, such athletic kids and, and heavily involved in sports can vape, but it shows so many different nuances like that we're not quite teaching coping skills or maybe, you know, stress management or focusing on mental health. And, um, and, and it makes a lot of sense to me if I think back as a kid, I mean, the vaping advertisements are so persuasive to say, well, it's not a cigarette, it's not harmful, it's just, you know, it's just mist or it's just this. And so those two um, are kind of a perfect storm to have yeah. these, these youth actually using it as a coping mechanism or stress mechanism. And then the other thing uh, that, that I found really surprising, so interesting, is the young people, uh, the younger people may be vaping without nicotine, but not necessarily knowing perhaps if nicotine is in the vapes or not. And it's probably more to do with flavors. So I just um, I actually wanna have a clarifying question. How young are people starting to vape? I mean, so, some as young as 12, definitely. And I mean, it, it may be younger because our data starts at 12. We, we've, we only surveyed young people from 12 to, to 19. So we definitely have 12 year olds vaping and I, I, I would imagine there's some young people younger than that. Wow, and, and that amazes me because there's, I don't know, I'm gonna get the number wrong, but I heard uh, a figure like 2000 types of flavors or 200 types of flavors, you know, including birthday cake and cotton candy and things. And, you know, if I can think way, way back when, when I was 12 and had a few dollars, I was definitely picking up candy at the corner store. So it's just it's very interesting um, to tie those flavors into the, the young, young age of people starting vaping. Because I think a lot of us think of, of cigarette smoking as more of an uh, older teenage, you know, and vaping an older teenage um, phenomenon, but it isn't. Yes, yeah. And I mean, I think since we collected the data, BC has, has sort of um, made some progress on addressing the kind of flavors piece and, and a bit of the kind of targeted marketing at young people, but obviously we've still got a long, a long way to go. Young people are not necessarily always going into the store to buy their vapes and their juice. You know, they're getting it online, which um, they tell us kind of anecdotally when we take the result back is pretty easy uh, to get. So if they want access to things, uh, I, I think they can find it. Yeah, yeah, they're so much farther advanced from when I was a kid at the totally. corner store. They definitely know they have online and they have older uh, siblings and peers. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so this is, uh, I love, of course, Clearing the Air is a youth-led research project and so much of what you do is you, you just from the ground level and in every aspect of your work, you involve youth, which is just so incredible and so important and valuable, especially in public health as we're trying to figure out a way forward with some of these issues, especially vaping. So I, I was wondering, what are some of the results or suggestions from youth or ideas um, that youth have come up with that is respectful of them and their voice, but that they could actually get the facts on vaping? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, uh, that's a great question because I, th I think it's about, it's about the authenticity of the, of the messaging. And we know from, you know, the D.A.R.E. program and all those kinds of things that saying it's bad for you, don't do it, is never going to be effective. It, you know, it's just not what young people want to hear or what resonates with them. Or they want to listen to so we we have been kind of a pro across the province we did focus groups with about 100 young people uh, across bc just asking that exact question 
you know, what messaging resonates with you. And, and it was enlightening from things, you know, and, and tells you exactly why we need to include young people in these conversations. Um, so uh, the federal government produced some uh, resources aimed at young people and it had cool vape rings on, on, the, on the posters saying essentially don't vape, it's bad for you. And young people were saying like, those posters are so cool because they show you how to make the vape rings and they wanted to kind of be able to to blow those those kind of rings um, so it, it shows you like i think that in a nutshell tells you why we need to include young people in the messaging because we're exact giving them the exact opposite message to the one that we're trying to give um, so what we've we've heard from young people is definitely they want the facts and treat them you know with, with respect and we, we don't know the effects um, long-term effects of vaping because it hasn't been around long enough. We don't have enough research yet to truly give a true picture. So we should be honest about that. We could say what we think um, might happen. They also said, you know, like it resonates with them when they hear stories from young people. Uh, what we heard was really um, what would give young people kind of pause for thought would, for example, be the messaging around sport. Like they a lot of the young people we spoke to, had, it hadn't occurred to them that vaping might impact their lung capacity within the sports uh, arena, or it might kind of impact what, where they want to go in life and what they wanted to do. And just to be able to have that conversation, essentially that, so they could make their own decisions about whether they wanted to vape and risk that it would affect their sporting performance or whether they wanted to make different decisions. So I think it's just really about kind of um, respecting and uh, appreciating that young people have the capacity to have a conversation and it shouldn't just be one conversation. That's another thing we heard, you know, kind of they all get dragged into assembly and you have one conversation about vaping and then that's it, off you go. And you might not have started vaping at that point or it might not be relevant or you might not be thinking of quitting at that point, but you might be in six months or you might be a bit further down the line. Um, and also young people really wanting to know how to deal with the addiction issue. You know, for a lot of young people, they, they don't know how to deal with the cravings. For some, they've maybe get to the point where they can't get through a lesson without um, kind of needing to vape. And they're fully aware that that's impacting their life and they want to make different choices, but they don't have the support to do that. We heard from young people kind of going into the pharmacy to try and get help and the pharmacist not being able to help them and not being quite sure what the law was or, you know, like if they were allowed to help them. So I think um, there's so much we could learn from what we do around uh, tobacco and, and cigarettes as well. Young people really understand the health messaging around cigarettes and most young people don't smoke. You know, we've seen year upon year decreases um, in adolescents smoking uh, cigarettes. So I think we can learn from that messaging as well. And young people have said, you know, it's effective. Cigarette messaging is effective. Learn some of the lessons for that, for vaping. Yeah, that's a, this a, that is such a rich answer and there's so much in it. And it's interesting, the one, of course, as a communications person, the one thread to pull right away is my horror and also the nightmare of you know, creating a poster campaign and it actually being instructive on how to do the opposite of what you're <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's everybody's worst nightmare. 
it's everybody's worst nightmare and especially as a comms person just kind of smugly being like we got the image we did it we nailed it there's the story and then you've been like oh excellent now i know how to do this in my garage <laughs> that looks so cool yeah. <laughs> yeah that's just like oh but also yeah the addiction aspect is huge and just to be a young person and maybe not able to uh turn to some of the, the your care providers your, your parents your adults in your life and and just ha working the courage up to even go into a pharmacy to say, hey, can you help me with this? And, and just nobody really knowing, yeah, the laws, regulations, rules around it. And it, it just takes so much courage to, to show up and ask for any kind of help, no matter what, it, no matter where you are across the lifespan, but especially as a, as a young uh, kid or teen. And um, yeah, so we definitely, yeah, we need to do better. Um, and I think, yeah, I think as well, we also know from, from our data over the years, if young people go and ask for help, you know, whatever it is that they've taken the courage to go and ask for help, if, if, they, don't get, if they don't get help, they often don't ask again, you know, so I think that's key. Like, we have to get it right the first time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really, that's a really, really good point. I, I actually, it's a, that's such a poignant point. I feel like that we should mic drop right here and the podcast be like, and boom, there. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have, I do have a few more questions for you. Okay. Um, so I was wondering, you know, out of all the public health issues that you're seeing, seeing youth deal with today or that might've come up in the uh, 2018 uh, BC Adolescent Health Survey, um, where does vaping rank amongst them? I mean, that's a, a great question. I don't know if it's one I could answer totally. I mean, when we do, you know, whenever we do something about vaping, young people are really interested. Like they really, it's clearly huge on their radar, whether they are vaping or completely anti-vaping. Everybody kind of has a perspective and wants to learn more about it. So in terms of that, it's right up there in terms of the things they want to know more about. Um, when we asked on the survey, kind of what are the health issues that we should be doing more about in school? Number one was mental health, um, most definitely. And then substance use, including vaping, was kind of right behind it. Um, and, and, and sexual health is another one. Um, often you can't sort of differentiate a lot of these you know a lot of young people are vaping as a way to manage mental health so if we do more work in mental health our kind of you know less young people might be vaping so they're all kind of interrelated um we're actually doing a study right now we um, are collecting data from young people about vaping during covid um and we hired 30 youth researchers across the province to um you know, survey other young people within their, their networks. It's an online survey and, and we're doing it. We did it, it closed uh, for the month of June, it was open, and then we'll do it again in September uh, and, and December. And, you know, we'll get some great data, but it also really flags the digital divide, which has become an issue. Um, and the connectedness piece, all again, which kind of relate to vaping. So I don't know if I could pick out one, issue but I, I think definitely it's it's all kind of interrelated mental health substance use connection all those pieces there's just so many different factors that go into a youth making the decision or trying vaping or they, there's it's so 
complex and nuanced and um but that was an excellent answer to an impossible question um <laughs> so but i i also really like my next two questions you you pretty much nailed but it, it's just to highlight that um you know, even the idea of more work in mental health or more work in um, stress management or coping or understanding youth lives and like what, what those nuances are that we might see less uptake in youth vaping as a coping um, skill. Because one of my questions was just going to ask, like, what are some, you know, protective factors or what are some things we can be doing to reduce the likelihood of youth vaping? Um, I think you answered that too with with some of the with the getting the facts, getting the messaging correct, and um, uh, you know more more support, more mental health support. Is there anything else you would add? I mean, I, I think I think if we could do some work within the school system, most definitely that will be helpful because we see the really powerful role that feeling connected to school. Feeling that your teacher cares about you, all those things are huge in reducing the likelihood that young people would vape. But schools are then in an impossible situation where young people are not supposed to vape on school property. So you've got some school districts that are doing massive amounts of suspensions because young people are vaping on, on school property or they're creating kind of the equivalent of the old smoke pits. Off, off school grounds and stuff and kind of away from everybody else and the, and the connections. So I think like we need to, like from a systems point of view, really think about that. If we know, and, and we know for everything, it doesn't just work for vaping, if young people are connected and thriving and that they're gonna do better and they're gonna be less likely to vape or do whatever it is, whatever behavior it is that we wanna address. So how do we kind of catch up from a systems people point of view where we're not taking a punitive response and we, we're kind of talking to young people about the mental health and what's driving the vaping and is it a way to connect with friends because all your friends are vaping so you don't want to be the odd one out or is it to manage your anxiety which is through the roof and then it's a different conversation you know depending on why young people are vaping and things like that so I think that's probably the only bit that I would add Oh, that's excellent. And that, that really dovetails so nicely into the next question. I keep on, um, oh, you're, you're too good. You're too good <laughs> to me. You got it all. But I was wondering if you had any recommendations for those of us in public health um, on how to move forward uh, with this issue. I mean, I, th I think it, 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 it's, it's dialogue. It's constant dialogue and, and conversation. Um, you know, and, and I'm, like I said it earlier, so I don't want to re repeat myself, but, you know, definitely we've heard from young people that the information they're getting is not clear. It's not regular. Um, and it's not in, in a place where they can have a conversation about it. So they get a presentation, that's it. You know, it's ticked off uh, and it's done. Um, whereas they're at very different places, you know, if they're just trying it compared to, if they're heavily involved, it's a, it's a different conversation or uh, the reasons that are driving it, like I was saying earlier, it's a different conversation. So I think from a public health perspective, it's just kind of talking about it and it being on the radar. Um, we do have 12 year olds vaping. Maybe people are not thinking to ask them about it. Um, we've probably got younger youth. It's probably not on people's radar that they are vaping, um, things like that. So I think it's just that kind of heightened awareness. We see 
really high numbers of young people vaping. Uh, our survey probably underestimated uh, on some levels. You know, it was it was only done in in kind of mainstream schools, so it's probably a bit higher if you brought in all the alternate schools and and all the young people who are not in school for whatever reason. Um, so I think like it's everywhere, and it's a conversation we should just be having over and over again. And sort of clear messaging and reasonable messaging and, and no scaremongering, uh, that would, I think, be, be the way forward. Yeah, that's excellent. I love, I love the idea of dialogue and, and discussion and constant conversation, um, especially because that idea that you so poignantly said earlier, just we need to get it right the first time. So if, if the youth does approach us or approach um, someone in, in public health in whatever capacity uh, for help with addiction or vaping or, or just facts, some knowledge, uh, if we get it wrong, they will you know, likelihood will not ask again. And when you think, it's also hard just as an adult to keep asking. Um, so, so just putting that pressure, like how to take that pressure off of youth so we can get it right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, that would be, it would just be so lovely that the onus isn't on youth, like that we take that right off, right off of them. Oh, I've just learned so much in this conversation with you. It's been, uh, it's just been really, really wonderful. Uh, it, it, I know it seems a little weird to get excited over being like, oh, I'm learning so much about youth vaping, but, <laughs> but it's such an important, it's just so important. Uh, I, yeah, we, we haven't thought to talk to 12 year olds or 10 year olds or kids in grade five or elementary school. I, I know there was um, in, in this podcast, we have an interview with uh, Chris Lamb, the CEO of uh, BC Association, right, yeah. and he talked about one of their vaping prevention uh, toolkits that was originally going to be for secondary school. That they realized when they got the data, it actually needed to be for elementary school aged kids. Um, and I think that, uh, like finding finding that out as a as a public health partner to BC Lung Association, it just blew our minds that, yes, that it is yeah. it is actually starting you know that young. Um, and, then, and I mean, yeah, we've definitely heard that from young people. You need, you need the information before you've made the decision to vape because it's almost too late then, <laughs> you know. Uh, you're already on a different path, whereas if you've got the information, you can make a more informed choice. Yeah, that's exactly it. And get that information into the hands of youth without the scaremongering, because that's so interesting from a communication side of things. And one of my questions was a real cheaty, sneaky one that was asking you as a communications person, do you have any ideas on what type of message we could create to reach youth? But it's interesting. Our first instincts are always the... You know, the it, it, I, I, I can picture the image in my mind where it's just sort of a cloud of vape in front of a young person's face. But then this conversation has turned that on, my, on its head and that actually might be seen as kind of really cool. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> but yeah, how, how not to take that approach. Yeah, it's so important. You know, that approach of this is what will happen when you're 60. If you do this now, this is what will happen when you're 60 is also, it doesn't resonate because 60 so far away, you know. Yes, it is like, oh, I couldn't only really imagine for a 12 year old, you know, 
15 is so far away. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's an impossible, impossible distance to, to getting into high school even. Um, I, I just can't thank you enough. This has been such an informative and such an important conversation. I so appreciate you making the time. I, I have kind of a, a last question. If there's anything you'd like to add to the conversation or anything I've missed. I don't think so. We're bringing out um, a vaping and tobacco report, which will be coming out probably in September, which is looking at uh, some of where the two are similar and where they're different um, to kind of further this conversation. Um, so uh, yeah, I'd be happy to share that when that when we finally get that kind of released, if that would be of interest. But I think we've covered everything. I really enjoyed it. Oh, so good. that vaping and tobacco report absolutely would be so interested in sharing that and sharing that out through our networks. Will that will that live on the McCreary Center Society webpage or? It will. Yes. Yeah. 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 Perfect. We will definitely include your webpage in the show notes so people can um, just check back because also the Mercury Center Society's webpage is just a wealth. There's so many um, resources and interesting things and studies and reports and, and it it's amazing. We're, you have such um, an in-depth knowledge about youth vaping, but it's a it's a tip of all the things you cover. <laughs> <laughs> with youth you have many many hats <laughs> and we really really appreciate you putting on the vaping hat for us um today uh for this episode so um this is annie smith the executive director from mccree center society who, who spoke with bchl today we're just so pleased to have her and, and annie thank you so much for the time today and of course thank you for the important work you do thank you ever so much yeah really appreciate it thank you You've been listening to The Balance, a public health podcast brought to you by the BC Alliance for Healthy Living. BCAHL was established in 2003. Our vision is healthy living for all British Columbians through every stage of life. And our mission is to promote healthy living to prevent chronic disease by mobilizing leading health organizations to collaborate on health policy and programs throughout British Columbia. Please subscribe to our newsletter by emailing move, M-O-V-E, at bchealthyliving.ca to learn more about our healthy living initiatives and what we've been up to. And thank you so much for listening.